Hello and welcome to Mondays with Mac. My name is Dr. John B. McIntosh. I am a licensed professional counselor and a certified advanced alcohol and drug counselor. In this series of discussions, we have been talking about relationships and addictions and process addictions. Today, I'm going to talk about stress and, and some particular uh, items such as sounds and how sound can affect our health and well-being. So let's begin today by talking about stress and coping. Years ago, psychologist Walter Kahn first described the stress response as fight or flight response. In other words, the body, <clears throat> when stressed, prepares itself uh, to be confronted, and it, it prepares itself by standing its ground and fighting or to simply run away. And in this process, our body reacts by increased heart rate, higher blood pressure, increased respiration, and also increased cholesterol. Through numerous studies throughout the years, they found that stress is very real and it does affect the body. In fact, an interesting phenomena every spring from January through May, your accountants who work on taxes have a very uh, high increase in cholesterol levels in their blood serum tests. They also have increased blood pressure and oftentimes need medication. And as said before, their heart rate and respiration increases as well. Today, we are living with perceived stress. And let me try to explain that a little bit. In our history, our ancient human beings, hunters and gatherers, we would be out in the fields gathering food. And as we were in the high grasses, there may have been a lion or a tiger lurking in those grasses ready to pounce out at us. That particular stress is felt and causes much harm in the body. However, today we don't have that lion or tiger hiding in the high grasses ready to pounce out. Instead, our stress is self-imposed. In other words, everything that's happening in our lives, we think about it, we process it, and we choose to react. Now, the key word I'm using here, folks, is choose. We do choose how we want to react. So what I'm saying is stress, or in particular stressor, that could be a life event, that could be a situation, it could be the future, None of those situations contain any power. It is our reaction to those particular incidents or events that causes us our stress. So in other words, our thinking process, our perceived process. So we're learning today that anticipatory stress is actually much worse and much more damaging to the mental and physical health of human beings than is the actual stress when it occurs. So today we're living with perceived stress comparable to our ancestors facing threats from predators. So a stressor is something with the potential to cause your stress reaction. That can be biological, psychological, sociological, or philosophical. And as this goes on through our lives, we experience strain. You'll hear people use that uh, word often, strain. Strain is the physical, psychological, and behavioral outcomes of that stress that you're experiencing. Physically, what you may experience from ongoing strain is tension, headaches, backaches. In that particular area, folks, we're going to be talking about chakras in the future, 
in the chakra energies and how emotions manifest within our bodies. But backache, specifically lower back pain, is eating up a lot of medical costs in our country. And when people go to the doctor, they're finding out that there's no organic cause, meaning no muscle injury, no uh, uh, bulging disc, no spinal problems, but yet they're experiencing extreme lower back pain, no injuries. So uh, what we're finding out is stress, in particular ongoing strain, can cause lower back pain because we're storing emotions in that region that are unreleased or unexpressed. In my work as a clinical counselor, uh, using the chakra energy system, I find that people who experience lower back pain typically are going through emotional breakups with someone significant in their life, either a significant other, a family member, or a friend. And if these emotions aren't expressed in the right direction, they get stored in the body, creating posture problems, creating difference in the way you walk, and as a result, pain. So we're looking at that as well as tension headaches. Uh, we're finding out that people experience ongoing strain can get a mental disorder called agoraphobia, where they don't want to leave their house. They no longer feel safe outside of their own premises. And finally, uh, a lot of our drug and alcohol abuse and addiction is caused by ongoing strain that's unrelieved. You'll often hear clients say, the only time I feel at ease or feel some sort of peace is when I have a drink. There are differences between males and females, however. Females tend to react to stress with what they call tend and befriend, which means they use social groups more often than males to alleviate and uh, release the tensions that they experience in their lives. That is why, uh, as we age, men tend to die first. They tend to over-identify with their positions and their jobs. And as a result, when they retire, they have extreme loss of identity. Even though you'll hear males talking about, I can't wait to retire so I can enjoy my life, if they don't continue to work in some form or fashion or do volunteer work, they tend to uh, become debilitated and eventually their health suffers and they die. Women, on the other hand, tend to live longer mostly because of the social groups and interactions that they maintain throughout their lifetime and their ability to express emotions. Men tend to use more of the fight-flight syndrome than the tend and befriend response. That is why uh, men will suffer heart attacks because the intensity uh, of the emotions they get when they feel a particular emotion coming on. And I often tell my college students, and no joking aside, but yet it can be comical, I tell my college students, if you're looking for a perfect male, if you're a female looking for a perfect male, I would look for those males that when you walk into their apartment or their dorm room, and they're watching a chick flick and crying. That is your perfect male because that male is showing true emotions, is feeling empathy, and is able to express without any inhibitions. Oftentimes, though, males don't express emotions until they are intoxicated or high on some particular drug. And in those cases, those emotions become exaggerated and sometimes dangerous. So I look at this, and uh, with male and female relationships with stress, when men get really, really sad 
really afraid, they tend to come out with anger. And that's often misread by the female counterpart in that she thinks he's actually angry or mad, but it's fear or sadness. And by the same token, the female, when extremely angry, tends to uh, subdue that and become tearful and cry instead because the emotions are so powerful. So that's the fight-flight response originally developed by Walter Cannon. Then along came Hans Solje, who developed the general adaptation syndrome. And he looked at stress and came up with three phases that, if you think about it, makes perfect sense. When we experience stress, we experience what they call the alarm reaction. In other words, the, uh, you can actually feel the stress happening. It's so, as though you're walking down the street with your head down and you step out on the road and all of a sudden a car blows its horn. You feel that instant reaction in your body. Blood pressure up, the tremors, the shakiness, racing thoughts, uh, breath is, is held in or breathing quickly. This is the alarm reaction of stress. And again, you don't even need to be uh, walking out to a busy street and have a car blow its horn. There are many people in today's world walking around with that kind of stress in them every day, as though the predators in the bushes ready to pounce out. If the stressor is significantly strong, and I mean by that if you perceive it to be that strong, life or death, it actually can kill you. So it's a very dangerous thing to think about. The second phase of this general adaptation syndrome is a stage of resistance. This is when the alarm phase starts to phase and your body releases hormones to calm the body, okay? And your resistance starts to increase. And finally, stage three is exhaustion. You all have experienced that. When you've had a good scare, or a good uh, stressful event, when the event passes and time passes, you feel exhausted. This exhaustion isn't physical. It is very much a mental state of exhaustion, and it can be uh, uh, quite enduring. You may need to rest, not only uh, sleep, but rest, and be out of the stressful situation for a while. There are two types of stress. One you know for sure, and that's distress, and that's the bad stress. Distress can come from a loss of a loved one, job loss, divorces, pet dying, uh, weather changes. Some people are very sensitive to uh, heat and cold, light and dark, etc. That's distress. But one we don't give much credit to is eustress. Eustress is good stress. And that can take the form of job promotions, new car, getting a new house, getting married, having children, taking a vacation, on and on and on. The list goes for eustress. But the interesting fact that people don't realize is that your body cannot distinguish or differentiate between good stress and bad stress. So you will do just as much harm being overly excited as you will be overly distressed. So it's getting to the Eastern philosophy of the middle way. For a good, healthy lifestyle, you need to find the path of joy, not to get overly excited and not to get overly depressed, angry, or sad. It's the middle way. 
you can experience anger, you can experience sadness, you can experience happiness without going to extremes. So you find the middle way. It's not being aloof or being uh, non-emotional. It's simply not reaching the highs like looking at a heart monitor where you're up, down, up, down. So the middle way is the peaceful way of going through life with the stress. <clears throat> also come along is Dr. Herbert Benson, who's a cardiologist, and he studied transcendental meditation. And he developed his own technique of teaching meditation to patients to reduce their blood pressure, and it worked like a charm. Meditation dates back over 3,000 years, and it's still going on today in various forms. With my clients, I teach uh, guided imagery meditation because I feel that Westerners are more apt to lying flat on the floor, uh, on a mat or sleeping bag, closing their eyes and enjoying the uh, experience of guidance along with alpha wave music to relax the brain hemispheres. However, there's transcendental like Dr. Benson studied where he's sitting in a lotus position, back straight. Uh, it could take minutes to hours and the goal is to have no thought. That can take years and years of training and I am all for it. I believe it's very good, but I, I usually use the easier technique to learn of guided imagery meditation. And I also teach my college students uh, each week. We, have a, uh, we add additional exercise. Each week I teach them a mindfulness te technique to help cope with their college stress, family life, and relationships. So mindfulness is a very powerful technique to use as well. So, we have these techniques, these studies going on, and then we identified personality types, and I'd like you to think about your personality type. We have type A. Many of you may have heard of this before. Type A are very highly motivated, very driven, uh, very organized, very hectic, busy people. There's so many other terms I can use. And I, for one, uh, I consider myself the one, uh, in the past, I was type A, three-piece suits and ties. Uh, I was very organized. I, uh, everything was time crunch, and I, my goal was to outperform everybody I worked with, and I did. I'd go in on uh, my job on Saturdays and Sundays and do additional work. And as a clinical supervisor, I get mad at my subordinates who would not come in on the weekends to do their work uh, to get all caught up and, in fact, work ahead. So I started imposing my values upon them, which created more and more stress for me and for them. So type A, what we thought of for years is type A personalities are prone to cancer and heart disease. But under further scrutiny, we found out that type A's actually aren't dangerous for health, what's dangerous is their intense, immediate response to a particular perceived stress. So when they get news of a job that didn't go through, or there's a backlog of something, it's their immediate, almost charged anger or rageful response that they get that causes their heart to go too quick, too fast, and create a heart attack and cholesterol rising in the body. And in, in the field of psychoneuroimmunology, that's mind-body health, we're finding out there's a high correlation between anger and cancer, 
as there is high correlation with deep unresolved grief and heart disease. So we're looking at type A's in a different way. It's not their busyness per se, but it's their intense emotional reactions to stress. Then we have the type B personalities. These are your very laid back personalities. Uh, jokingly, you'll find them at offices. They have stains on their ties or knots in their ties may not be neat. They may have an open button, but their ties just hanging. Maybe their clothes don't match or socks don't match. Uh, on their desk are piles and piles of papers. But what's fascinating about type B's is you ask them for a particular document, they know exactly where it's at. And they tend to work at a steady pace. They don't want to impress. They don't necessarily want to uh, work ahead or do things quickly. They want to just work. And they want to work at a steady pace. Then we have the type C's. The type C personality is the combination of A and B. And to be sharing with you honestly and openly, folks, this is where I, I've evolved to in my life through a lot of work in my own personal counseling, as well as uh, practicing meditation and teaching meditation, I've achieved uh, type C personality. So type C people are very neat. They're organized. They make a priority of quiet time. They make a priority of they're only going to work this much, but they're not going to overdo it. They're not going to put in that long hours. And today I work two part-time jobs, whereas in the past, being type A, I would work one or two full-time jobs and a part-time job. Now I take the priority as being myself and my quiet time. So evolving into type C, I, I describe myself as once being a uh, perfectionist or OCD to now I consider myself a neat freak, although I uh, do have little messes here and there, but I do not let them bother me, and I try to survive uh, in relation to that lifestyle now. So it's very important that uh, if we can to evolve to a type C and in the Eastern culture, when I went through some Zen meditation training, one of the biggest lessons I learned there is when your house is in order, your life is in order. So they meant that both figuratively, realistically, and uh, spiritually. So if inside, your house inside your being is in order, your life is in order, and it's simple, and it's good. Same goes for your physical surroundings. If everything is in order, you feel in order. You feel rested and at ease. There's none of these nagging thoughts of what needs to be done. Or if you do rest like, oh no, I feel lazy, I'm not doing enough. So in my home office, or I'm sorry, my office where I do my counseling, I have a little sign that says, oh no, there must be some nothing I should be doing right now. And that's a transpersonal joke, meaning that People need to realize that doing nothing is not being lazy. That's actually rejuvenating and good for the soul. So you need to take time on a daily basis. Turn off all electronics, all sounds and noises, and be still. Breathe. Forgive my bird in the pack background, but she loves to hear my voice. There's nowhere I can go in my house that she will not find me. So bear with me. We're also looking at symbolic stress. Symbolic stress happens a lot in our lives. Uh, loss of status. 
you have people working at a job and making it their career and they look at it for a lifetime and maybe uh, let go or maybe moved in different positions, demoted, etc. That's a loss of status. And again, the more attached you are to your status, the more you suffer. Threats to self-esteem, uh, work overload, and overcrowding. These are all examples of symbolic stress. Uh, today's society is increasingly expressing itself, expressing its stress through anger. And this anger oftentimes can move into deep uh, rage, which is very dangerous to both your physical health and to the other in your life. We are constantly available today. 24-7 we're available by our phones. We can't walk away from them. It's an addiction. They're near us all the time. And as a result, we're always available. Whereas before, in our past, we had shutdown time. You couldn't reach us all the time. I'm talking about the age before cell phones and beepers. We weren't uh, available 24-7 like we were before. And we're creating stress by striving for more stuff in our life. Stuff, folks. You will never realize how much stuff you have until you go to move. So in the process of moving, you'll learn how much stuff you carry with you. And one of the great Zen Buddhist teachings, uh, one of the stories uh, I really enjoyed is when the Zen master was telling us he once invited people home for dinner. And when they arrived, they opened, he opened the door, invited them in, and they asked him, where's all the furniture? And he says, why do I need furniture? I'm only passing through. So they had their dinner on the floor and cushions, but he didn't believe in any possessions because uh, he's only here in this world temporarily. And he taught us another lesson that that which we possess eventually possesses us. Also, uh, stress is caused today by a lot of our technology. And uh, we're going to talk now a little bit about sound therapy and give you some background on this. Um, the man I studied under, his name is Stephen Halpern. He's a PhD in music therapy. And he wrote a book called Sound Therapy that I find very fascinating. And uh, he talks about, you know, different sounds in our backgrounds. And one example in there that I thoroughly enjoy, because I do go to the gym three to four days a week. And uh, in my past, I was a classical rock lover. And... That's what they play at the gym now. But there's some interesting things that he mentions in his studies that uh, about music. I, after reading his works, I had approached the gym that I work out at and discussed with them how they should be playing meditation music in the gym and not the you know rock music or any other kind of music. The gym did not take it too well and... Uh, <clears throat> they they kind of laughed at me when I tried to propose that to them. I tried and tried, but it, to no avail, but they would not listen to why music is not a good thing, because if you listen to music, it can motivate you. It can make you work harder. But what, we're, what we found out was, uh, when you use music in the gym, your body resonates to every tone that it picks up. So even aerobic exercise, you know, people use uh, music to motivate them, to make them work harder. But what happens is there's a dissonance between the musical sounds. 
in the way the body wants to move. So, oftentimes you'll see uh, people working out, pushing to an extreme with very jagged, uh, uneven, or not well thought out movements in the body, and they're injuring themselves. Whereas if you played relaxation music, you can still motivate yourself, but it forces the brain, both the right and left hemisphere, with using alpha wave music, it forces them to work in synchrony. And as a result, you're more consciously aware of every movement your body is making. So you can still run, you can still do aerobics, you can still lift weights or do machines, but with more focused concentration than just uh, body trying to uh, do what it's told to do with the instructor, and at the same time hearing music that does not necessarily resonate with what you want to do. So this is one interesting thing that Stephen Halpern had studied. And the other thing he studied is how we are all physical oscillators, meaning that we're all vibrating entities. And he found out that you know uh, some noises can actually cause harm. And he, he denoted how in the past, uh, if there was a fire, all someone had to do was climb to the uh, steeple of a church and yell that there's a fire, and it would wake up the whole town. Everybody could hear it. Then that evolved into fire trucks that had a bell. And the person uh, would sit there and just ring the bell as the truck was moving. And that would awaken people at night. Then as the cities got louder and louder, we now have sirens. Initially, it was a uh, one single note kind of siren. Now we have an oscillating siren because our ears cannot hear as well as we once did. So it's amazing to me how much our hearing is evolving and changing as a result of sound. And then he talks about the various uh, subtle energies in our homes, from the Wi-Fi's to the refrigerator motor running to the electronic buzz coming out of televisions that we don't hear, but our body does. And from uh, our cell phones, if we sleep with it next to us, remember, folks, cell phones are microwaves. So he's talking about all these things. And another interesting study, both pro and con, that I found extremely fascinating when he talked about uh, people getting sonograms. When they did studies, they showed that uh, sonogram waves actually destroy some uh, tissues, cellular tissues. And an opposing study showed that it does, but not necessarily as much as the uh, uh, Contra study did. So even so, even if it destroys a little bit of cells, we must think, should we get a sonogram? Should we uh, take a chance at destroying anything? Just like we make decisions for x-rays, we know that they do harm. But you got to weigh is how important it is for you to have one. So European studies have shown that uh, talking on a cell phone for uh, 15 to 20 minutes with up to your ear can cause some cellular damage in the brain and resulting in possible tumors. They also showed how having Wi-Fi in the home, if your Wi-Fi is strong enough, can do the same thing as holding the phone up to your ear. So in my particular surroundings, I have a, uh, if you can hear it in the background, I have a solar powered chime, of course, you hear my bird, and then I have um, a lowest frequency Wi-Fi that I could buy, 
Uh, actually, I didn't even want one until my ex-girlfriend convinced me that I needed to have one and she installed it, etc. But uh, I was always the plug-in type for a computer because I never, I studied those researches uh, from New York and I, it scared me. And so we're living in cities that have 122 decibels of sound frequency and uh, at 120 decibels, that causes pain to the human organism. So we're living in these high frequencies, folks, and day by day, we're losing our acuity for hearing. So it's very important that you turn everything off. Go outside. Walk in the woods. The woods, if you can get out far enough where you do not hear traffic, you do not hear planes, etc. The woods, uh, the trees release a chemical called prions. And the prions enter the uh, skin and you breathe them into the lungs and they act like antidepressants in the body. So natural cleansing, natural antidepressants and de-stressing without medications. And finally, uh, just a side note to let you know that it is very, very helpful and fruitful to simply sit still. Try from 15 minute increments, sit still with no noise, no sound, nothing per day. Uh, so if I happen to meet you or see you walking down the street and you have earbuds in and I can hear your music, I feel bad for you because I realize how much damage you're doing both to your hearing and to the oscillator called your body. I thank you for listening today. I have so much more to talk about here in the future as we talk more about stress and perhaps the chakra energy systems. Stay tuned, and I'll see you. Take care. Bye-bye.